Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, as, as we're gathering together today, let's just remember Galatians 2.20. It says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let's stand and let's sing about this glorious king that we have. See if I 
Church, everybody. My name is J.C. Russell. And I'm Leah Brigant. Welcome. Oh, I thought, I thought you had your joke. Well, I, they didn't like it last week. Okay, okay. That's well, fine. I, I, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, I was driving in this morning and I heard Journey on the radio. Pain sense. So just wanted to share that. Praise God, God is good. God. Amen. Prayer is such a big deal, and it's a big deal here at Great Commission Church. Uh, if everyone will find that welcome card, that prayer card, as an act of worship, I, I would advise everyone to fill these out. Uh, our staff and elders, we love praying over these. Uh, we love praying for our church, so make sure you fill that out. Also, you should have gotten a, uh, we've got a, a life-changing message that Trevor's going to bring. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, we're also going to hear about uh, what our missions are doing uh, all around the world. You, I'm so glad you're here to hear about it. And also in that worship guide are some events. So one to start off with is our GC kids are going to the Memphis Hustle Game this Friday. So you can find more details and information in the worship guide and on our website. Awesome. One more thing we've got planned for you. Some steps that you can take with us at your, at your own pace. So make sure to look at that. Yeah, you can fill this out. Everyone's going to fill these out. But if you're new here, just mark new here. Uh, Mark uh, New Here, or you can swing by our uh, New Here kiosk. We've got a gift for you. We'd love to give that to you. Uh, and if you're curious about getting to know people at Great Commission Church, well, lucky for you, we've got a spot for you. Just mark Get to Know People at Great Commission Church. We'll get you a group. It meets right after first service in the theater. Uh, it's, it's a great place to meet people. Uh, you're going to have a quick Bible study, and you're going to get to know a little bit about Great Commission Church. You don't want to miss it. Make sure to fill out these Connect cards. So next, Kyle's going to come on stage and introduce our missions partner. Everybody, welcome Kyle. That's very kind, Paul. <laughs> uh, I'm Kyle. I'm the missions director here. And then before I introduce Greg and Michelle and tell you a little story that I think kind of fits uh, with what we're doing today. Uh, during the summer months, I have a lawn service uh, that I do. And I do my banking down here on the corner at Cadence Bank. So a lot of times when I'm going through there doing my uh, banking, I'm pulling my lawnmowers and trailers and stuff. So they identify me as that. And a lot of times they'll ask me, they get curious, and particularly one lady in particular, Miss Diane, she says, what do you do during the winter? And I said, this happened to me a couple of weeks ago where she was asking about this. And I said, well, Miss Diane, uh, this is not my main uh, thing that I do. I direct the missions uh, at the church down here on, uh, just down from the bank. She said, really, I've always wanted to give to missions, but how do you know that what you're giving to is legitimate? I said, that's a very good question. And I said, the best way I can direct you on this is number one, start with somebody you know. And number one, have they been there? Have they seen the things uh, go on, the ministries? You know, if they say they're feeding this many people, are they actually doing that? Are they ministering to them in ways, tangible ways that you can see? And I said, all the people that we support, 
we have not only seen it, but we've been there. We've done it with them. And before I know it, Miss Diane was, uh, was giving me some money to <laughs> donate to our missions project. So today for all of us, and uh, uh, another part of that story, what was really um, good for me to be able to do was I said, Miss Diane, uh, this money you just gave me, if you'll go to, uh, to MikeCurry.com and Harvest Evangelistic Association, you can see where every dollar that you have just given me will go. And that was a, gave me great pleasure to be able to do that. So for us today, you've heard of Harvest Evangelistic Association. It's been a couple of years uh, since Greg has been here. You've seen some of our pictures of the Kingdom Kids Backpack Project uh, where we do every year. Uh, this will be available to you to go with us here very soon, so don't forget that. We'll be, uh, Barney and I will be announcing uh, the dates and all that stuff very soon. We'll give you a chance to sign up and be part of that uh, in the flesh here soon. But today, for a lot of us, seeing is believing, and I would like to introduce and uh, bring Greg McClanahan up, and, and Michelle will come up here uh, later after that. But as we dismiss, make sure you go and visit them. As you go out the door, there'll be a newsletter, and you can get really caught up, and you can hopefully plan your trip to go with us. So, Greg, come up and give us a report. Welcome to the stage. Back there, there we go. Thank you all so much, and uh, it's truly a blessing to Michelle and I to be able to be here with you and uh, and just spend a little bit of time with you and and uh, just see what the Lord's been doing and and uh, and hear from you all how the Lord's been moving in in your lives in your church and and it's an incredible opportunity for all of us together to impact our world. One thing I shared earlier today that I like about the church here is that you, you all exist to impact your world. You all get out of bed every day expecting that God's going to change the world forever. You all expect that your church is going to impact the destiny of this world forever. And, and we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that and celebrate that with you all. And, and so they asked us to give a report today of things and, and uh, share about the, our, Michelle and I and our lives and uh, many of you all don't know us and so um, we had different things prepared to, to uh, show and different things and Trevor asked this morning, he said, you know what Greg, so many people don't know y'all. He said, I'd really like for y'all just to share about you all and share about the ministry. Give us just an overview and report on that. and. And uh, you all have already seen the video and pictures from the Kingdom Kids Christmas Outreach and those things. So, so today I just want to share with you real quick uh, about a little bit about us uh, to start off. Michelle and I were two different people on two different ends of the planet when we met. I was a bareback bronc rider and crazy drunk on Jack Daniels whiskey all the time working at General Motors to pay for the entry fees for rodeo three or four nights a week. And uh, Michelle was a heavy metal rocker, and her friends were all crazy. She was crazy, and, and they were a mess. And, and so uh, I, it's interesting because I share now that I fully understand now why Paul said, be not drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And I used to think, what a strange statement. 
until I started thinking about how Michelle being so uh, shy and so afraid of people and so nervous before she knew the Lord. And, and she was just so quiet, always in the back. But she drank more Jack Daniels than I did. And so when we went out to the rodeos and stuff, we would be in the rodeo bars afterwards. And, and she would be walking through there and there'd be people that are six foot four and she'd just shove them out of the way and get us in all kinds of trouble. And she was, she was that person who, who was afraid of her own shadow and was afraid of people and so shy. And that person became so controlled by Jack Daniels that she became like a lion. And so Michelle really, really helped me understand what the Bible meant when it said, be not drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. It's talking about that we literally should be, in, when we're born again and say that miracle that only God can do in the human heart, that we literally begin to walk filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by Him to do what we do. We're not doing this like Trevor said earlier in the service. In our flesh, we're not going out and just sharing words. We're going out and believing. And you're going to see this. It's a beautiful picture of what he's going to share. We're going out as people and as a church, empowered by God who promises to be with us. He promises to empower us. And so seeing Michelle, knowing how shy she was and stuff, and and, and seeing her just walk into stores, and next thing you know, she's captivated people. She's, she's got them over in the corner. I walked in this one store one day, and she'd been in there a long time, and I went in there to see what's going on. She's got the lady at the counter, and the lady at the counter, she's talking to her, and the lady's leaning over the counter like that, and she goes, she looks at me and said, she's so full of Jesus. And, and, and listen, listen, I, I don't have a lot of minutes, but I, I want to tell you this. They went to buy me tennis shoes in a mall one day, her and her friend, when we were up in Oklahoma, back up from Mexico. And, and her friend wanted to buy me tennis shoes. They went to the mall, they go in there, and they're in this shoe store, and there's this young man in there that Michelle uh, meets in there, and she's talking to him about the Lord, and he's saying, people don't just come in and talk about God to me and this and that and the other, but, I, you know, I'm not interested in da-da-da. So they left the store. They went out into the mall, and, and, and this is a part of our story, I promise you. And they went out into the mall, and there's a bench out there. And they, Michelle asked her friend, let's sit down and pray, and let's ask God to send other people to talk to him, to shake him. So they prayed out there, and they left. So it was nearly two weeks later when Michelle and I walked back in that store because the tennis shoes didn't fit. We walked in the door, and I'll never forget seeing the young man up at the counter, and he's gone. Oh, no, you again. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? And he said, he said, do you know that day y'all were in here, you were talking to me about God? He said, two more people came in that day and talked to me about God because Michelle lives a life of expectation. She lives a life knowing and believing that God's moving in her, no matter her fears, no matter her, her, her shyness. And so, so we were in there and we did the things we were there to do and shared with him some more and left. A year later, we went back in that store again. We walked in the door, and that guy just went, oh, I can't believe it. And so we went out, and I said, what do you mean? He said, listen. He said, I quit the day after y'all left here. I quit working here. He said, this is my first day back. God is moving in our world. He's moving in us. And so, so whenever I met Michelle, we were just crazy wild on both ends, and I met a man working at General Motors in the factory during some downtime when they were letting us work extra hours. He was on his knees cleaning the floors. 
And he started sharing with me about Jesus, sharing with me about his God that he loved with a passion. I never in my life had met a person. I knew lots of people who went to churches, but I never met a person that walked with God like that man walked with God, that loved his God. It was such a part of their family that every morning he said they prayed together, the wife, the children, and they asked the Lord things. And I said, you talk to God? He said, yeah, yeah, every morning. I said, does he talk to you? And he goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, like how? And he said, well, sometimes we ask him to guide us in things, and we'll be there for 15 minutes waiting, waiting, just in silence. I, that blew me away. For two weeks, I couldn't escape the conviction of the things that man was sharing with me. I went in the home. I walked up to Michelle one day, and after work, talking with him, and I said, Michelle, we're going to pray, and this guy says that we need to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins because our marriage was a wreck. And uh, she told me she didn't want to do it. And I went in the room knowing, fully knowing, that I was getting ready to walk away, uh, having wanting to be clean in the eyes of God and wanting to be right with God, that I was getting ready to walk in that room, and she was probably going to walk out the door and spend the rest of her life with her crazy wild friends. But anyway, thank the Lord that didn't happen. I was born again in the floor that night. Her life was changed forever, not long after, uh, within a couple of weeks. And I came home one day, and she just had all of her old stuff. She had T-shirts with demons playing guitars and stuff, and she had it all in the floor. And, and uh, I said, what are you doing? And she told me she was walking through the house. She was listening to ACDC, and it said, if you're into evil, you're a friend of mine. And she just broke and wept. The Spirit of God came over her. She looked up, she wept, she cried, and I came home and Michelle was a different person. She's a Cherokee woman through and through, and she's got the Cherokee nose to smell things no one else can smell. She tastes what no one else can taste. She sees what no one else can see. She hears it, and, and it's just crazy. But Michelle became a new person, a new creature, totally, and God rescued our marriage. And so we began sharing our story everywhere we could go. We shared it in the streets. We, shared, we would hear a church was having a revival or something going on. We would go. We'd never been there before, never attended the church. We would go. We'd hit the streets in the afternoon and start just talking to teenagers and, and children, moms and dads, and just encouraging them to come. And listen, it was amazing to us how easy it was. We would bring sometimes 20, 25 people to a meeting at a church that we had met just out in the streets in the afternoons bringing them. And us not even be from that church. That, 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 those were the things that amazed us was how easy it was. I remember one night we went out at a church that was having a revival, our church, and we went out and one evening in the housing projects we had 32 children that we got to come back and, and one adult, one mom, and a teenager. The next day I got the children's ministry guy to go out with us and we took two vans. We, we brought 110 people from the housing projects. It was 200 yards maximum from the church to the housing projects to that meeting. And we just began to see how God, we be, people say, well, look, you do this ministry in Mexico. You do film evangelism and this. We did that in Oklahoma. We did that in the parks, Barney. We did that anywhere we could. We did that in the housing projects, in their activity rooms. So we began to see God moving. People on my job started saying, Greg, why don't you be a full-time evangelist or why don't you be a youth minister? What are you doing here at General Motors? And I would say to him, listen, this is my mission field. General Motors is where God put me. He knows my address. If he wants me to change that, he'll let me know. 
One day walking through the factory, the Lord spoke as clear as a crystal to me to leave the job in two weeks, to leave, don't look back, and he'd provide. My boss was against it. My family's against it. Everybody said, you're a trainer. Troy Aikman worked under me, Trevor. Troy Aikman worked under me and couldn't even go to the bathroom if I didn't let him go because he was playing football at OU at the time. And, and in the summers, the, the football players all got to come and get jobs where they made a lot of money and just for a few months. And, and uh, he was one of them. And uh, yeah, and then a few weeks later, he, he signed a contract for $50 million and forgot who we were. But I guarantee you, he left there knowing about Jesus. I guarantee you, he wasn't there working on my line and didn't leave there knowing that Jesus loved him and gave his life for him and, and uh, shook, just, oh Lord. So time's clicking down the clock. It just grabbed me. So, so anyway, so, so anyway, and so, those were incredible times, but one day walking through the factory, the Lord just said, leave in two weeks. I went home and told Michelle. She said she already knew. And so from that moment forward, we started the process. We went to visit with a career missionary friend of ours that we had known that knew all about that stuff one week before I was leaving General Motors, and I asked him. We sat down with him and said, what do we do? He said, you got to go and preach in 100 churches every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night you got to share what the Lord's calling you to do, and you got to ask him to support you. And he went like this on his coffee table he, on it, with his thumb, and he said, and you got to press them, get them in their office, and press them to support your ministry, or, or they're going to forget you when you walk out the door. I said, I won't do that. I said, that's between them and the Lord. If the Holy Spirit speaks to them and they do it, great. If they don't do it, that's between them and the Lord. He shook his finger at Michelle and I that day. He said, son, you're never going to make it. That was 34 years ago. 34 years ago. And today, not only do, do we support what we do, the mission center that's 75-yard long buildings, 25 yards wide, two stories tall that we never asked a church ever to take up an offering to help us build, but we support 50 other full-time missionaries that work with Harvest around the world in five countries, in the Philippines, in the Congo, in Uganda, in Argentina, in Mexico. And now we have our graduate students, their church is sending their students with us to our school in Mexico because they heard about us. And the pastor in Colombia says he wants to plant 100 churches in the next 10 years. And he said, I'm sending my students to you all to prepare them in your radical school of frontline missions is what we call it. School of Radical Frontline Missions. So anyway, the Lord's been so good, and I, I told him I would give you an idea of, of the impact that you're having as well. The School of Frontline Missions, in the school, they go out every weekend preaching the gospel and working in church planting. Only 20 students we allowed to be with us. But, but so far, in, back in, because it's split over the two years, because it overlaps into two years, but in 2023, they shared the gospel with 14,873 people, our students going out on the weekends. 2,833 people of those responded uh, for salvation. Uh, our graduate missionary students, they preached the gospel to, in, uh, last year to 103,619 people. And they had 9,183 people respond. You know about the, the Kingdom Kids Christmas, the Backpack Project. 
but I have the reports for that. Every pastor came back in. They did a full report. Uh, every single location has to be there at least a half hour with our staff during the, the debriefings. It was, it was 13,085 people attended that in 415 locations. 2,914 of the people that were saved in that I'm, I'm sorry, I got that mixed up. Four, 13,085 attended in, I mean, yeah, in, in 415 locations. And, but of those, I'm telling you that wrong. That's how many people responded to the gospel because I know it was 49,000 something that actually attended. So 13,085 people responded. Now people say, well, that's children's stuff, Greg. That's children's ministries. We focus on whole families, moms, dads. 2,914 of those that responded were adults, moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas. That's 33% of the people who responded were moms and dads and adults and grandmas and grandpas. VBS of a Lifetime has a total attendance um, of 170,000 plus, 170,196 attendants. You all helped us put that together. Thank you all. You all come with Barney and come with Kyle and Ernie and and the others, and, and uh, so 170,196 in 439 locations, 20,493 responded in those invitations, in those meetings, and you say, well, but those are kids, it's VBS. Listen, of that, 4,142 of those were adults that responded, and that 4,142, people say, how can you even manage that? Pre-COVID, it was 200,000 in attendance, accumulative over the five days. Well, Barney helped me with last year's attendance. We divided it all out, and it come, came out to be something like 77 uh, people per location. These are small vacation Bible schools, small outreaches with the backpacks, but they're doing it. We're reproducing native ministers to do what they do best through the Kingdom Kids backpacks and VBS of a Lifetime, let, uh, uh, the two together, just those two parts of harvest in 2023, 68 new churches were planted. And so, listen, thank you all for all that you do. Thank you that you're a church that loves Jesus with a passion, that, that are committed and dedicated to having an impact in this world. And like I always said, any church that reaches across the street is going to reach around the world. And I know your church has a heart to reach your your state, your city, this nation. We need Jesus in America. Thank you all so much, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless you. Where are you going? Whoops. You know, you could save a little time. <laughs> I think I I'm sorry I pinched into your, uh, your time a little bit there. Well, hey, look. We're really good at what we do, and we knew you were going to go over, so we already handled that. Oh. We told you 12, and we put 17 in there our notes. This ain't my first rodeo barn. Um, uh, Greg, um, Michelle, come up here. Please don't shove me or whatever it is you used to do in the bars. Um, when uh, Kyle came back to, from one of the trips... He said to me, hey, Harvest International Missions is bigger than we thought. And I thought, great, so it goes further into Mexico. And he said, no, Trevor, 
It goes into the Congo on the continent of Africa. It goes in the Philippines, somewhere on the other side of the world. In Uganda, also in Africa. In Argentina and South America. We just heard about Colombia. He said the Lord is blessing this thing, and it's, it's an absolute privilege we even get to know about it. Here's what I want you folks to know. These are career missionaries, and most career missionaries go to churches, and they have to ask and solicit money. And in the eight or nine years that we've known them, and they've been in our missions conferences and all of that, they've never asked our church for a dime. They've never said, would you even pray about or consider supporting our ministry? They just said, we wanted to, when we come to the States, we wanted to come to a church that's, that's radical for the, the mission field. And so what we just heard was that God took you from General Motors to the nations. And um, it's so great, great to be a part of that. So our elders and our church, our mission team a few years ago said, hey, we want to support Harvest Evangelistic mission, uh, Missions every month. And so th today is, is a day that we wanted you guys to know that. But <clears throat> look, in the Bible, here's what missionary work is. And it's very narrow. And it's not missionary work, it's ministry if it's not, if it's not one of these two things. Evangelism and church planting. And what you just heard about is that's what Harvest does. And so would it be appropriate for us to stop right now and pray that God would continue the work all around the world through their leadership? Let's bow for prayer. I'm going to put my hands on your shoulders. Father, what a great privilege and opportunity it is to take some of the resources financially that you've given believers and send it to the nations through organizations like Harvest that evangelize and start churches. And God, I pray for Greg and mm. Michelle more. Mm. More, Lord, increase. Mm. God, give them like, like Elisha got a double mm. portion of Elijah's spirit. God, I pray they go in more anointing, in more mm. power, in more holiness, in more consecration. I pray you raise them up. Mm. I pray you raise them up higher. I pray you make their mm. marriage stronger. I pray you give them brand new leaders. Mm. I pray that in their churches all around the world today, mm. when the gospel goes out, that men and women and boys and girls will be mm. saved. And in a few years, they'll be going out as disciple makers mm. and church planters themselves. God, we know that your heart beats for the nations, and we know that you use Greg and Michelle and all their leaders, and we can't believe that we get to be a part of that by, by financially supporting. And so, God, we pray for more more of your glory, more of your fame, more of your renown, more of Jesus. And a faith-filled church said, amen. Hey, we love you guys. Thanks for being here with us today. You too. This is our third or fourth, I can't remember, Global Offering Sunday. And it's the first one we've been able to highlight one of our global ministries. And you just heard about that. But on the first Sunday of every month, we set aside as Global Offering Sunday. And it's a ceremony that we do, and it's very reverent. It is a solemn time. It's a consecrated time. It's a time where the worshipers at our church present ourselves before the Lord and receive prayer and do it together. This is a time of solidarity. So we are consecrating all that we're giving to the Lord for the month of February. And here's what our church gives. We give that precious commodity of our time to the ministry. We give our talents and how God has shaped us and made us and gifted us. And we give of our treasure because what our testimony is that God is the one who gives us the ability to get wealth and that, that all that we have is really a stewardship and a management of what he has. And so this is that time where we say, God, we are setting aside the month of February for the nations and for the local church and for the area here. It's also a time and opportunity for the members of our church 
to encourage each other in this act of solidarity as we financially support our church together. And so there's getting ready to be four long lines in this building. And it's going to be a lot long lines of people in our church that are saying, hey, I want you to know you're not doing this alone. I'm with you guys. We're together. This is a family thing. We take care of the ministry. Another thing it does is it provides a tangible offering experience because the overwhelming majority of the believers in our church give to the Lord digitally. That means you do it on the app, you do it with a credit card, you do it with an automatic bank draft. And so when we pass an offering plate, you don't have anything to put in there, but you're just as faithful as a giver. And so we designed Global Offering Sunday to be a tangible way that we testify to the Lord that, that we give to him every month. Also, this may be my favorite thing about this, it reinforces to our children that they belong to a faith family that's generous. In addition, it's global because we're asking the Lord to maximize everything we give to him to make disciples and start churches all over the world. And so here are the instructions. Bring any financial gifts that you want to give to the Lord. Put it in this envelope today. There's going to be a receptacle and a spiritual leader near you somewhere. If you give digitally, you bring an empty envelope that says, hey, I'm a giver this month too, and this represents my offerings. So when you do that, you're going to receive a prayer of blessing, you and your family. So I encourage you to bring your family with you. One of our spiritual leaders is going to pray for you a 10-second prayer that says, God, give them grace this month. And then here's how it's different from the Lord's Supper. When the Lord's Supper is over, we kind of, we kind of chat and visit a little bit. It's a family time. I'm asking us to make this time reverent and to kind of be silent and pray and meditate in your seat after you, receive, you give your offering until the ceremony's over. Now, one other thing. It doesn't matter which receptacle you go to. Also, I'm deputizing you to help us balance the lines. If you're in a line here and there's still 12 people in it and this line has three, just feel free to go over and, and go to the shorter line and it just helps us um, and helps people have to wait not as long and other folks get to pray more. Does that make sense? This is kind of your own free will. In just a second, I'm going to have a stand up. If you spiritual leaders, go ahead and get in place at your receptacles now. And then I, I'm going to have you stand in a second. Then I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, the ceremony begins. We need, we need an elder down here, one of you guys. <clears throat> All right. Now let's stand together and pray. Father, for the nations, for your glory, for the praise of Jesus, for the multiplying of churches, for the making of disciples, for the saving of sinners, and for the magnifying of God's name, we commit this time to you as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.
stand and sing one more song to our King this morning.
hallelujah to the King of Kings this morning. Lord Jesus, we, we praise your name. We worship you, God, and we, we continue to expect great things from you. You're so worthy of it all, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory. In your name, amen. You all can have a seat. Find John chapter 14 in your Bibles. John 14. And I got a story to tell you today. A true story. I did lots of digging for. I'm Trevor Davis. I'm GCC's pastor. And as you're finding John 14... I want to tell you about Robert Trent Jones, Sr. Robert Trent Jones, Sr. was a professional golf course architect. And he either designed or redesigned or renovated over 500 golf courses in 45 states, 35 nations, over a 70-year career. This guy died when he was pretty old, worked a long time. The famous one, though, was when Robert Trent Jones Sr. redesigned the beloved fourth hole at Baltus Roll Golf Club. Baltus Roll Golf Club, their lower course, Springfield, New Jersey, just prior to the 1954 U.S. Open. Well, Baltus Roll Golf Club had a president at the time. His name was Hobart Ramsey. I don't know if you're expecting a baby and it's a boy and you're struggling finding a name. What about Hobart, right? That's the name from, from the earlier generations. Hobart Ramsey, he even sounds like an old guy with a bad attitude, doesn't he? Well, old President Hobart and some of the members of the golf club did not like the work that Robert Trent Jones Sr. had done in the, in the renovation of the fourth hole. They thought it's a par three and it goes, you tee off and it goes over the pond onto the green. They thought the adjustments that Robert Trent Jones had made to this hole before the U.S. Open was unfair. So here's what Robert Trent Jones offered to do. He wanted to answer his critics, and so here's what he said. He said, tell you what, I'll play the hole. Get the club pro, pick any two members that you like, we'll make a foursome. And President Ramsey, call the press. Call the sports writers, bring them to watch us play the par, four, the par three hole number four. And so here's what happened. They played from the 165-yard member's tee box. Johnny Farrell, the club pro, went first. He teed off. He swung it well. The ball dropped onto the green. Amazing shot. His next two buddies, also scratch golfers, tee off, cross the pond, their balls land onto the green. Just about as good as you can do it. And now it was time for Robert Trent Jones Sr. What you don't know about Robert Trent Jones Sr. is he was only a golf course architect. He was not a golfer. It's a stretch to call him a recreational player. He approaches the tee box. He's got a cigar in his mouth. And he swings his four iron. And the club hits the ball perfectly, and it clears the pond, and it too lands on the green. However, 
Robert Trent Jones Sr.'s ball kept rolling and rolling and rolling until it landed in the middle of the cup for a hole in one. Turning to the assembled group at the par three fourth hole, here's what Robert Trent Jones Sr. said. He said, gentlemen, you were wrong. As you can see, this hole is eminently fair. And then he walked off the course. Now, the young people call that a mic drop moment. The older generation would say, that's an I told you so. What does it mean to be vindicated? Can you think of any I told you so mic drop moments in the Bible? Because I can. The first one that comes to my mind is when it started raining. After Noah and his family and two of every animal entered the ark and God shut the door. That's when heaven said to mankind, you were wrong. You should have listened to my preacher. See, the New Testament says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But that's not the direction I want this sermon to go in because we don't necessarily want to rub it in the face of sinners, do we? I'm not here on the earth doing ministry to go, I told you so. You should listen to me. Instead, Christians want non-Christians. Christians want sinners to believe the gospel and be saved, yes? Christians want non-Christians to have the same thing to happen to them that happened to us, meeting the Lord and becoming brand new. Now, there will be one final moment of vindication for the Christian church one day. Jesus will return to earth to set all things right and to make all things new. Do you believe that? He told his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That's our final promise of the 29 Days of Promise series that we're doing today. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That's from John chapter 14, verse 18. But before I get to verse 18, I want to walk you through the passage, give you some context. And we're just going to read the verse, and I'm going to tell you just some promises that Jesus made along the way. Before he gets to the big one, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. So John 14, look in your Bibles in verse 12. Our Lord looks on the night before he dies, the last time he meets with his disciples before he, before he goes to the cross. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. The first promise that we come to along the way is Jesus tells his disciples, you will carry on my ministry and you will increase it. I'm leaving. I'm dying for sinners. I'm going to go back to my father and my ministry is not going to end at that moment. All the things you saw me do, all those wonders and power and miracles you experienced through me, 
all of that brilliant teaching as if God were speaking himself because he was. All of that continues in you. That's what the verse says. You, the, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. You're going to continue what I did. And here's the part that's even more difficult to believe. You're going to exceed what I did. You're going to increase my ministry. Greater works than these you will do. I put in my notes, not much ended when Jesus ascended. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that a Christian church's ministry and church life is supposed to be like going to school all the time. I don't believe it's supposed to be lifeless and just about learning and just about learning to sit still and be quiet in a big room, how to be nice and more respectable to people that are already nice and respectable. I think that what Jesus said here is true and that we just continue what he did on earth. And have you thought about what he did? Walking on water, multiplying bread and fish, touching lepers and healing them, healing people who were sick, rising from the dead, that stuff. That's what he means. You're going to continue this on for me, and you're going to even do greater works. I believe that verse because I believe that what Jesus says is true. And so I believe that our church is just supposed to be a continuation of what you read in the Gospels where Jesus and his disciples preached the gospel of the kingdom and did it. Amen? It's a promise along the way. Here's the second promise along the way, verses, the next two verses, 13 and 14. Then he says, ask whatever you ask, and he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, a blank check from heaven signed by Jesus. Ask him whatever you want and you'll get it. We need to interpret that a little bit, do we not? Well, here's the second promise along the way. It's I will hear your prayers. If you do biblical theology and you look from Genesis to Revelation, you find out that, especially in the Old Testament, their view of God was that if your prayers were answered, those are the ones God heard. And if they weren't, he just didn't hear you. He chose not to hear here, right here in the upper room, Jesus tells his disciples, I will hear your prayers. Ask anything in my name, I'll do it. But, can I ask you a question? When Jesus said, if you ask for whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it, did he intend by saying that, that our prayers will be the way we manipulate God into doing what we think's best? The answer is no. When, when Jesus made short statements about prayer that seemed open-ended, like, if, if you just ask me, I'll do it. If you look at the context, he was always telling his disciples that when they were in the middle of doing what God was already at work doing. So they are like right in the middle of the, of the power and the will of God. And if you find yourself there, I dare you to ask, something, ask God for something. He will do it. Because you know what happens? When you go and find out where God's at work and just kind of join him, what you pray for changes. And it becomes less about building you an empire, and it becomes less about making your life convenient, and more about giving God glory through his son. I need my prayers to change. 
He says, I'm going to hear your prayers. And then here's the third promise along the way, verses 15 to 17. Then he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you do, I'll pray the Father. And he will give you another, what's that next word in your Bible? Does it start with an H in your Bible? Is it, is it helper? I will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Who is this? It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That third promise that we meet along the way in John 14 is that Jesus says to his disciples, I will enable you to obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask God to send you the Holy Spirit to make sure that you're able to do it. You know what that is? That's just what he guaranteed in the New Covenant text in, John thir in, in Jeremiah 31, where, where in Jeremiah 31, he tells his beloved, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. You need a, you need a different view of God if, God if your view of God says, the Lord has commanded me to obey him, and he can't wait to squash me when I don't. You need the Bible's view of God that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'm going to act and work so that you will. I'm going to give you grace to obey. I'm not waiting to fail you for the test. I'm going to help you ace it. And now we get to our promise of the day. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And it's the promise where Jesus says, I will come to you. Hey guys, I'm leaving, but I will come to you. Do not panic. I will not leave you orphans. You know what, you know what the, uh, the best biblical definition for orphan is in the Bible? It is those with no caring support. An orphan is someone with no caring support. Now, the pastor, doesn't that mean children whose parents are dead? Yes, that's one very obvious group who are orphans. But I want to talk to some other orphans in here today. I want to talk to the ones who've been saved by Jesus and you've been baptized. And you're, you're a legitimate, bona fide Christian, but you don't belong to any local church. You're an orphan. You're an orphan because the father who saved you has said, all my caring support is to be found in a local church, and you're saying, no thanks. I want to challenge you to make Jesus' promise applied to your life, where he says, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you, and where you'll hear him say today, be an orphan no more. And it doesn't have to be this church. I recommend this one first, for obvious reasons. But you need one that opens their Bible and teaches you on Sundays, yes? You need one that will love you and encourage you when everything's going wrong. You need one that when you walk away, they come find you. Otherwise, you're just spiritually orphaned. When Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans, I'll come to you, here's what he means. You will not be abandoned. He says, I will not leave you defenseless. I will not leave you unprotected. And here's my favorite one. He says, I will not outsource your security. I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. I'll do it myself. I won't wait for someone else. I'm coming to the rescue. This is a promise that's only for believers. It's not for unbelievers. 
What chapter of the Bible are we in? Somebody say it. Other than Paul. John 14. Now, this, is, this promise is in John 14, 18. Yes? I started reading at verse 12. Doesn't that suggest that there are 11 verses before we started reading? There is, and the most famous of the verses of the 11 is verse 6. It's where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the who? Father. The Father, except through me. So this promise of not leaving you as orphans, because orphans need fathers, it's only for believers. But you would think, with the way the American church sometimes is so careless with their presentation of the gospel, that they change John 14, 6 to say, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the forgiver except through me. But like we've said over and over in our church, God's not in the forgiveness business. He's in the relationship business. Those he forgives, he forges into his family. He becomes their father. Yes? And in, until you come through Jesus, you're an orphan. You don't have God as your father. Now, here's how I'm going to land the plane and end this sermon. It's by asking a question and giving the three answers our text gives. Here's the question. Okay, pastor, what are the ways the Lord Jesus comes to his disciples? And if you look in John 14, uh, three different answers are given, and the Bible scholars and the commentators are all over the map over which one is the most important answer. I couldn't decide which one was most important, so I thought, they're all three great, I'm going to give you all three of them. Is that fair? Yeah. Number one, first way that Jesus comes to his disciples is through his resurrection appearances. I want to say something simple, I wonder if you believe it. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Yes. And when he did, he became alive in his dead body again. And then what did he do? Then what he did over a period of 50 days, 40 days, is that he appeared bodily. And do you know who the only group of people he appeared to in, in, the, in those 40 days? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a religious leader. It wasn't a scribe or a Pharisee who, who didn't believe in him. It wasn't Pontius Pilate or any of the Romans who had him crucified. He only appeared to his disciples. Because apparently God thinks we're the only ones that need to be convinced then it's our job to go and deliver the message to others and the Holy Spirit will convince them. So if you're a believer, you should have assurance of your faith. You should know why it's real. You should be able to defend it. You should be able to give the apologetic reasons for it. Jesus goes to his disciples in his resurrection appearances and says, told you so. Yes, isn't that right? Told you so. Look, look at my hands and my feet. I'm alive. And he says, let's have breakfast. And they eat fish. Did you eat fish for breakfast this week? Want to be more godly? Try that, I guess. His resurrection appearances are the first way that he came to them. And what did that do? It confirmed the good news. When Jesus showed them his body that's alive, he says, now, I have died for sinners. I have conquered death. Everything I told you is true. The bad news just ended I walked out of the grave. It's confirmed. Or actually, he said it before he died, but he only said it in three words. It is finished. So the resurrection appearances confirm the good news. 
they get a fresh understanding of what he meant, but they also get resurrection life. He says, because I live, you also will live, John 14, 20. Here's the second answer to the question, what are the ways the Lord Jesus comes to his disciples? He comes to them by sending the Holy Spirit. Not only did he appear to them in a, in a new body, in an alive body, which confirmed the good news, he sends the Holy Spirit who will empower the mission. John 14, 26 and 28. If you, I didn't give you this reference in number one. It's John 14, 19 and 20. Here's John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. So the disciples are panicking. Jesus is hung on a cross and they take his dead body down and they say, oh my goodness, it's over. And as time goes by, not only will we, will we forget what he looks like and not only will we forget what he sounded like, we're going to forget what he taught us. And Jesus says, oh no, I'm sending the helper. I'm going to the Father and I'm sending my spirit and he's going to testify about me. And he's gonna remind you of everything I taught you. I'm going to come to you in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of our triune Godhead. By the way, Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Who did he say that to? Did he say that to Peter, yes or no? Was Peter in that crowd? Yes. Was John in the crowd? There were 11 of them, right? The ones who walked with him, and some of them have names of books in your Bible. And Jesus says, you guys are gonna go out and preach and be my witnesses, and my spirit is going to empower you. May I ask you a question? Are we so spiritual that we don't need the power of the Holy Spirit when we preach the gospel? I mean, we've got our Bible, right? They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the completed Bible. Is that why they need it? No. The gospel of the kingdom, the truth about Jesus, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is that the same apostles that needed the power of the Holy Spirit are just like us, and we need that same power, and we need that same fire from heaven, and we need that same unction, and we need that same faith where we lay our hands on people that are sick, and we pray and we say, God, would you just be merciful, and would you send forth your word to heal, and they're healed. Why, did, why would Peter need power, and I, not, and I don't need power? Peter's more spiritual than me, Yes? It's okay to say yes. I know you still love me. Well, if the best ones needed it, then the lesser ones need it. He says, I'm going to come to you through my spirit. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is more than creating godly character in believers. Isn't that true? Does, does he do that? Yeah, he sets us apart. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is more than granting spiritual gifts to Christians, yes? He does it, but it's more. He also makes the risen Lord Jesus present with his church. And sometimes he brings Jesus right down in the seat next to you, and you hear from heaven, you hear heaven say to you again, I love you and I haven't forgotten about you. Let me tell you about last week. Last week, our, our prophetic ministry Sunday ended with three prophetic people from our church sharing in each service a total of six 
And I was saying, God, just get, make two or three of those words hit. Just two or three, God, so we'd have stories to tell of your goodness and your power working through the lives of the, of the saints of God. And, and God, God gave two or three, all the way up to about 40 of them. It was overwhelming. All the reports that came in were still documenting what the Holy Spirit did in the prayer lines last week. Let me, let me show you a couple of ideas, a couple of stories. Billy Egner, one of our, one of our elders, uh, received all through the month of January as he was praying uh, what, what Dr. Sam Storms calls a sympathetic pain. It was a pain that Billy described as throbbing, stabbing pain in his right thumb. Billy's thumb's not injured. This just came on him and it kept happening. He's like, what's this? And he said, Lord, is this, do you want me to pray for people in the church? Is this an indicator that, that you're getting ready to minister to somebody with this pain that I'm having? So he just sat on that word and he prayed and he shared it last Sunday. And I would, have been, I would have been doing a backflip almost if just one person said, oh, that's, that, that word's for me, and came and got prayer, and the Lord ministered to them. But for Billy's word, four people responded to that word. Three in the service and one on the internet. The first guy said, a few years ago at work, I had my right thumb crushed by a machine uh, and just destroyed my thumb. I can't feel anything. It's been numb, but it's been hurting this week. Maybe the Lord's trying to regenerate it. Would you just pray for my thumb? The next word was a lady on the internet said, um, I'm at home with an arthritic triggered, what did she call it? I wrote it down. An arthritic trigger finger. She said, it's my right thumb and it's killing me this week. It's distracting me. It's interfered in my life. I can't believe that that was the word Billy got. It was for me. And, and I prayed when he prayed and the Lord healed my thumb. Another guy last week, he was cooking using a, an appliance at his house and, and cut the tip of his thumb off. Can we agree that hurts? Can we agree that's what guys do sometimes, right? It was Zach Dias. Zach, I think you might be here today. And he said, my goodness, obviously God is reading my mail because this is the biggest thing in my life physically. And, and God told Billy. So he went for prayer and he said, I think before the service that it's feeling better, I think. If not, don't ruin my story, Zach. And then another lady said, that's been my specific pain for months. I want prayer for that. Then another lady gave a word about migraine headaches. And I know about migraine headaches because I've had them for years. And she gave a word and Sarah Flowers responded to the altar call and said, that's me. She said, for some reason for the last month, I've had a migraine headache every single day. It's terrible. Would you pray for me? And she laid hands on Sarah and prayed for her. Instantaneous healing. And Sarah came in today and she said, I haven't had a headache at all this week. And I was traveling for work, airplane to airplane, and still didn't get a headache. God healed me. Since I started with a golf story, a golf clap, I guess, is appropriate. <laughs> he empowers the mission by sending his spirit. Look. Great Commission Church, we're going to walk in the power of the Spirit of God because we welcome him here. Not afraid of him, he loves us. And the last way that, the, that Jesus comes to his disciples in John 14 is in his return. And when he does that, it vindicates the church. The, first, the second and third verses of John 14 too, you've heard many times. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. 
I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. That where I am, there you may be also. My favorite Christian singer is a dead guy by the name of Keith Green. And Keith wrote a song called I Can't Wait to Get to Heaven. When he was live in concert, he would, he would set the song up this way. Uh, he said, I believe that the Bible says that God created the world in six days. And Jesus has been at the right hand of the Father building a mansion for believers for 2,000 years. If God can make this earth in six days, imagine what Jesus can make in 2,000 years. He says, this must be like living in a garbage can compared to what's next. And then he would say, I can't wait to get to heaven. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is coming back to earth. It'll be the most dramatic vindication in all of history. So what do we do with that? We anticipate it. We celebrate it. We prepare for it. And we tell others to do the same. Three ways to apply this message, and I'm done. Number one, obey the gospel. Have you believed, repented, and been baptized? Because in the New Testament, no one's considered a believer except the thief hanging on the cross. And if you want to hang on the cross, you can be the second exception. Unless you believed, repented, and were baptized. Have you been converted? Is that you? Have, you? have you believed the gospel? Because Jesus isn't offering you eternal life. He's commanding you to obey the gospel. That's different. He's not saying the ball's in your court. He's saying, it's my ball. I'm commanding you to take it. Stop rebelling against me. Have you done that? Have you obeyed the gospel? Because that's what Jesus' resurrection appearance confirmed. Also, walk in the Holy Spirit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Especially after, have you had a moment with God after you became a Christian that caused you to love him more and, and, and hate sin more? Have you had a time that totally changed everything and you leveled up and you began to walk in power and it became real and you got a fresh assurance of faith and it was a moment you look back on and says, I've never been the same since then. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Because he sent the Holy Spirit to empower the mission. And lastly, live for his return. Because in his return, he vindicates the church. So here's the question. Are you living for today or that day? If you live for today, you're wasting your life. If you're living for that day, you're preparing for the next world, living for his return. All right, that's the sermon. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Take this, take this card. What's next for me? Some of you have been kicking the tires. You want to meet some people in our church. Before you, before you put your things away, it's very important that somebody next to you hears this. Get to know people at Great Commission Church. If you mark that box, we're going to help you meet some people, get involved in our ministry, and see if you like it. I need to trust Jesus for the first time as a second box. If you're saying, I'm, I don't know that I'm a Christian yet. I don't know if I've obeyed the gospel. Check that. We'll sit down with you. We'll open our Bibles, and we'll show you what the Bible says about how you can have eternal life. Rediscover my faith in Jesus. Some of you are saying, look, I've been out of church. I've been away from God for a while. I'm ready to come back. Hey, we can help you with that. I'm ready to be baptized. Hey, look, you need to put on that wedding ring. You need to marry Jesus. You need to go public with your faith. You need to complete your conversion. Mark, I'm ready to be baptized. Or you're saying, hey, I'm ready. Had a, had a couple already today. I'm ready to join the church, become a member of Great Commission Church, go through our membership process. Mark one or two or however many of those boxes apply to your life. Take that card put it in the offering box on your way out as our final way that we worship God. Now, would you stand to your feet? If you're on the prayer team, come forward. 
As the prayer team gets in place, I'm gonna say a prayer, and when I say amen, we'll be dismissed. Father, we want you, we want you to take the, the truth of your word and sow it deep into our souls and our hearts today. Don't let the enemy steal the seed that was planted. Jesus save souls. Jesus be glorified. Jesus build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you guys next week.